welcome to uh, Set the Table Episode 5, in which Jack and I talk about homebrew, and I subtitled it Homebrew and World Building Part 1, because I feel like we could have like a 10 episode series on world building. Oh yeah, easily. So, easily. Homebrew and World Building Part 1. Uh, I am John Skoda, and with me is my dad, Jack. Nick, uh, how's it going, eh? We are both long-time... You get the benefit of just having been on Earth for more than me, uh, but we're both long-time RPGers, and we have noticed that there is a demand online for introductory GM, DM, how-do-I-run-tabletop role-playing games because it's becoming so popular and I got roped into it type questions so that is the purpose of the podcast and we are a couple of dudes who think that we know some things about some things sure i like that yeah yep uh so since last time we do this show bi-weekly um and in two weeks we've got a bit of time that you could be playing games. So in the past two weeks, what have you been playing? So I played my 5e game, my my regular Monday night, and yeah, um, with, my, with my terrifying Smith Neblin bard of the College of Whispers, and she's uh, working her way into the seedy underground of the realm that she's in. It's a homebrew campaign, which we'll obviously going to talk about homebrew. Um, and so she's trying to become a lounge singer. Oh, interesting. So she she got a critical success on her performance when she was auditioning. Um, and I have my... We, we play over Discord, so I've been pulling up a lot of uh, Eartha Kit uh, oh, nice. vocals. So uh, I'm all set to go. Um we won't. We didn't play this Monday, but next Monday I'm ready to go with uh, Cole Porter's "Let's Do It" song. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then I was born to be evil, and a couple of other uh, of that cabaret nineteen late nineteen thirties, early nineteen forties sure. uh, female vocalist kind of thing. So nice. That's some good uh, flavor. Yeah, the rest of the party kind of uh, enjoys it. Of course, they're scared of her uh, and her her viciousness. Uh, I think she's the only evil character in the party. So, man, all right. So I have two things that I want to say. Okay. Um, And both of these I want to write down for future shows because I feel like we could do entire shows on them. Um, Bards are kind of like that where everyone is scared of a bard and sometimes it's for frightening reasons and sometimes it's because they're just so unpredictable and ridiculous um now again i don't want to take away from the homebrew show but i'll say no i'll save my questions for the uh bard episode all right do you have if you have them write them down so that we can answer them for you later um, okay. and, uh, in the off game that I can talk about, uh, I'll talk about that now. Uh, my group started an off game for when we have people missing from our main game. And so the off game DM is one of my players. 
and uh, it's his first time DMing, so in the future at some point I think I'd like to bring him on to talk about it. Um, but uh, we knew from the start that it was going to be sort of a combat-heavy dungeon crawl. You get captured by an evil wizard, and he makes you do these trials for entertainment, sort of primitive story like that. Um, and my character is the only evil character. Um, and so we can also have an episode where we talk about playing evil characters in relatively good and or neutral parties, because I feel like it is... It's so easy to play a neutral good or a true neutral character, and it is difficult to play and to DM for evil characters. So that definitely merits some time on its own in the future. See, now I I I I don't want to say I disagree with you, but I you do me, you disagree because you are excellent at playing the evil character. I I I, th I think it's hard to dm a good party because players don't hear, hear me out all right i don't think that most players play lawful good correctly oh no of course not lawful good is just as hard to play as chaotic evil so that's that's my like it's like everyone's in chaotic Which... good <laughs> neutral good lawful good it's like okay cool the goblins throw their swords down and start to run away. It's like, okay, I'm loading up my bow. It's like, time out there, dude. No, you're not. That's you, not... You, if you shoot at a fleeing goblin, I'm going to have to make you have a charisma save to see if you're going to shift alignment. What do you mean? They were just trying to kill us. It's like, they're running away scared. <laughs> you, you're a what good alliance creature. Doing. Like, you have yeah. to stop. That's and then not people good. Get... That's, that's pretty lawful good, but... It, it depends, right? I think I think a lot of the time you have alignment that gets sort of pitted against each other. So mm -hmm. if you have an evil character like a goblin, somebody good might try to kill that evil character, and you could argue that that's good. Yeah, that's... I think you'd need a specific paladin oath not to kill creatures that have surrendered, because even being lawful, the king might decree that goblins are enemy of mankind, and goblins are enemies of the killing state. Killing goblins is always lawful good. So yeah, you got a lot of situations in there. Um, but again, that's that's a whole show on alignment. And we're we're hopelessly off the rails already, aren't we? We yeah, but that's okay. That's how D and D works. Like you, that's. I think that the show is metaphorical of us as DMs in that when things get off the rails, you have to find a way to bring it back. And so just as I would if my party was adventuring in the forest and was complaining that they hadn't had an encounter in a long time, so I made up a cave that they could go into, I'm going to remind us that the show is about homebrew and ask, uh, what is homebrew? Does it involve beer? It could, right? I did so, a whole campaign around a dwarven brewery. We, <laughs> very yes. well could. We could. We very well could. Uh, so when I think about homebrew, I think about a campaign or a story or a world that has been completely authored by the DM. Right. So. All right. So we disagree uh, on that. So when I think homebrew, um, 
I, I guess there for me there are there are levels of homebrew. There is the um, what I used to do for classic traveler. Um, I had a complete like I made up. I didn't even use the traveler cannon. I used um, my own astronomy knowledge and created star maps and from the real world and then assigned okay this type of creature would be on uh beetlejuice this type of creature would be on Cirrus, cygnus um and and kind of built out the planet architectures and the whole all that stuff uh from scratch um so that's what i think if you want pure homebrew for me that's the the cosmology the you know we were playing using the traveler mechanics but there was no emperor um there was no the the kind of cosmology that traveler comes with we had said oh that's cute we're not playing with that um let's take and build our own stuff right right and then also, in using sci-fi games, um, Traveler, Classic Traveler, again, um, we had done a classic Battlestar Galactica-like game. Nice. Where nice. there were humans, aliens beat the crap out of the humans, they were in a giant spaceship trying to find a habitable planet. Um, they weren't Galactica looking for Earth, it was, it was a similar plot line, uh, but we had kind of changed things around a little bit. Sure. Uh, and it All was right. the original Battlestar Galactica, not this new nonsense. So I would, I would argue, I so I would first of all I would agree that home like pure homebrew is relatively original, hundred percent DM influence. However, I I do think that you could class home, you could call anything that a DM decides that is not rules as written as homebrew because you might so last time we talked about modules and supplementary materials and so you might take the the land of barovia from curse of strahd and design a different adventure than what is in the module yes and I, i that's that i think is homebrew as well any any modifications to content that you make as a dm count as homebrew whether that's taking a goblin and adding some magic to it to make a goblin sorcerer sub monster um or if that is uh taking barovia and doing your own adventure or if you are designing everything from scratch um for i think for the sake of discussion tonight we should agree that homebrew is from scratch though we're talking about pretty pure homebrew here Sure, and and I, you said something about rules. Um, I don't view homebrew. I I have a, I have a separation in my head. Might not be the right separation, um, but I I think of homebrew as fluff, and house rules as crunch. So I don't I don't I know I think, you probably think, don't agree I with that. I think it's but, about eighty twenty, maybe so even ninety something... ten. Okay. So so if I so I I have right now, um, hopefully in my next session a 
magic item that I have developed for one of my characters. Because something that I like to do is give everybody a... Uh, I call it a quest artifact item. Where you have to do something a number of times to power it up. And once it powers up, it gains extra abilities and a higher modifier. And... Um, like the weapons in D&D Heroes. Do you remember that? Oh, I do. Yep. Yeah. And you'd get the ancestral shards and it would power up your weapon. It's kind of like that. Okay. Um, and so I, I have an item that I designed that is... I don't know if he listens to the show, so I'm not going to talk about it in depth. But it is an item that exists within the rules of the game, like a longsword or a backpack or a flute or a bedroll, whatever it is, right? It's an it, object it, of some kind. Yeah, it's a rules-as-written object. And at various power levels, it gains powers and the effects of abilities and spells that... A, an item would not normally have, and B, the player would not normally have. So, mm. I, I think it's, maybe it's just tricky to define it, but that's that was a counterpoint to where where you were going there. Right. No, yeah. In, in my head, I, I kind of have separated the two. Homebrew is for the, con the fluffy content the land and the the stuff and then i use the term house rules okay for mechanics all right and, so and that, that's just a terminology thing it's a terminology thing for me like homebrew is the content is the is the fluffy stuff and then here's my homebrew and i've got a couple of house rules that go with it that's usually how i present that in two pieces okay so i have a homebrew item that has house rules applied to it applied to it right okay it's, it's a it's the pouch of oh we did this. I had a pouch of poisoning, and basically, anytime a this is back when we used to play live. Anytime a player would sneeze, um, that would power up the pouch with with a disease kind of poison. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and after there oh, were that's eight, so fun. I think, I think it was seven that. or eight. No, it was a drow thing. So eight legs on a spider. After the some the pouch was present for eight sneezes it would drip this sickly green poison that you could put on a knife and it would cause a disease condition man that is that is a super fun idea yeah but you have you'd have to play live because like when i'm playing on discord if i have to sneeze or cough i usually don't push my push to talk button so you can't tell when i'm sneezing or coughing or um we play over Skype, my group, and even if somebody mutes themselves in, in time to sneeze, we still see right. it more often You'll than still not. See <laughs> so yeah. I could totally do something like that, and that is an awesome idea. Wow. So I, I can I can introduce uh, an item that my players already have. Um, Callie is playing a druid, and it was her first game, so she got her item... Uh, second, actually. Um, but she has the Totem of the Beast Shaman, which is a... Uh, or Beast Walker? Maybe it's mm -hmm. Beast Walker. Which is basically a bear paw that she puts her arm in 
and wares, uh, and the homebrewed power of that, the house-ruled power of that, is that she gets beast casting or beast spells early. So she's level uh, 5 right now and can cast a spell, uh, one first level spell, into the paw. And then when she is wild-shaped, as a bonus action even, she can cast spells that she has cast into the paw. Mm. Um, so obviously that's very, very, very powerful, but because she's so new, she's not abusing it. Um, gotcha. and she has to cast spells from the paw to power it up. Uh, and okay. as it powers up, she'll be able to store higher level spells in it. She can use it as a weapon. So over time it will deal more damage and at certain higher levels, cause her, her quest item goes from level 1 to level 10. Um, she gains a couple spells that normally druids wouldn't have access to. But she ah. got the paw from a deity before she realized it was a deity. So um, it is supposed to be exceptionally powerful. Most of the quest items that I've done, uh, that I've homebrewed, have, have gone up to level 5. Um, I think somebody had one powered up to three, but not higher than that before they switched characters. So I'm really excited. I I know that this player isn't going to switch his character, and I I the item is something that he has asked for, like in character in story before. Um, so next episode I'm going to talk more about it because it's going to be awesome but I will stop soapboxing about my super cool homebrew items so, that I can't talk about <laughs> so it's obvious that you enjoy homebrewing why do you do it other than the fact that you love making things up why 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 do you homebrew well so um other than the it's the way you ask that is a little sketchy because a lot of it is creative freedom and expression. Um, I'm also in a, a pretty poor financial situation, so I don't have money to spend on supplemental material. I know Descent into Avernus just came out, and everybody's talking about that. Um, that's not anything... A, like I talked about last week... Uh, modules are not my bag of chips. I have a world that I've been working on for years and I want to play in it. And um, B, I don't have the disposable income to spend it on, on extra Rush out and, like that. And buy the 68 modules that came out today because yeah. there's going to be 40 more tomorrow. And yeah, right. yep, I got you. Um, interestingly enough, and uh, I'll, I'll talk about this for a minute or two here. Um, I have listened to There Will Be Dungeons for a long time. I am a huge fan of basically everything that Frog Pants produces, and Scott Johnson is a, a wonderful orator. Um, so TWBD is, is high up on my listening list. However, it has been recommended to me a number of times to listen to the Critical Role podcast. And so because I'm at work eight plus hours a day and I'm able to have a headphone in, I've been listening to Critical Role and I arrived today. Uh, I started with the Vox Machina campaign 
Um, they just had the battle with Kavarn, no spoilers, but um, that just happened, and I, I had a bunch of issues with it that I talked with my group about. Um, but right after that, there's an episode where Matt Mercer talks about sort of running your first game a little bit, um, and and I really liked some of the stuff that he was talking about in terms of what the role of a DMGM is and and how you go about creating homebrew content. Um, and so I I really like I so I've been working on a world for um, it's it's gonna be eight years this year uh, that Maddie and I have been working on that and and he was helping me out way in the beginning because um, I was driving to go sugaring at Graham and Gramps and I had these ideas for Dungeons and Dragons that I had to get out of my head and Maddie was going with me and so I I had paper and a pencil in my backpack from school and I threw it in the front seat and was like here can you write this stuff down for me I need a town called Piedmont and it's going to be located in sort of the central but slightly southwest. Uh, I need two forests, and then on the sides of the forests, uh, mountains, and then a little bit more forest, and then two lakes, one in the north and one in the south. So Piedmont's in this past town. And that's how the whole world started. Um, and why I homebrew is because I, I've, been, I've spent a ton of time doing that, and um, Matt was talking about uh, on the Critical Role podcast how, as a DM, the some of the greatest experiences that you can get out of that are watching your players roam around in this sandbox that you've created. And even though DMing can be taxing, it is a time investment. It is a large drain through which creative energy flows. Um, but getting to see players in your world is what it's all about. And so that's... I, I homebrew because there is there are few greater pleasures on planet Earth for me than seeing people experience an environment and a narrative and characters that came out of my imagination. Um, and that's, I, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's nothing else like it. And I imagine it's how JK Rowling felt when people were starting to read Harry Potter from book one, page one to the end of book seven and experience an entire universe that, they otherwise never would have thought of or never would have seen or experienced. Um, if you go to the... Uh, um, I'll plug it again at the end of the show, but if you go to patreon.com slash Skoda, you'll find the page for... Um, Patreon. Uh, you'll find the page for my creative efforts, which include this show. And I, I have a quote there. A Writer is a World Trapped in a Person by Victor Hugo. Um, yes. And that's 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 why I homebrew. I have 
I have the creative energy that I need to spend. Um, and I, I get that from writing for my, my D and D group. Um, so you're, a, you're a nice home brewer. Yeah, I guess so. I'm um, a jerk home brewer. Okay. Yeah. So why do you home brew? So I've been I, talking for a minute. <laughs> so you talked about creative energy and all that kind of stuff. Um, one of the reasons I homebrew is I I don't like games with fixed and closed cosmologies. Full stop. I don't like games. <laughs> I don't like games. Uh, no. So so I, I <coughs> sorry really, with a fixed cosmology. Yeah, with a fixed cosmology or with a with a um, a very rigid canon. Okay. Oh, okay. So, so, so just just real quick, I I understand rigid canon, um, but um, but right. <laughs> um, but cosm limited cosmology. Do you mean pantheon religion cosmology, or do you mean realms and multiverse cosmology? Yes, both. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um. So. Uh, I, I, and I was going to explain, uh, let me explain. Um, please do vampire, the masquerade second edition. If you play vampire, the Ma masquerade second edition, um, and this is true for all the vampire, the masquerade games, right? Um, th sure. there's no mystery, uh, for the people who have read the book, you know, exactly where vampires come from. You know, exactly how they're made. There's generations of vampires. Uh, the, the, First generation was Cain, right out of the Bible. It's very biblical. Um, and the the third generation vampires uh, are kind of the Methuselahs. They're the ones who uh, basically the class or the clan or class uh, mechanic is based on. And it's all very like cut and dry. And this is how it is. And this is how reality functions. And, and this is your history. And it just doesn't. I miss playing in a world of unknowns. Okay. Yes. All right. Can I jump so, in? Yeah, go ahead. Actually, I'm going right. to grab my power cord because my laptop's dying. So you oh, jump in while I... Terrific. So you mentioned um, so the thing that triggered this was uh, playing in a world with unknowns. And I think that this is an issue that is happening in gaming across the broad spectrum of gaming where I'm going to use uh, Destiny 1 as my example. Uh, several of my friends struggled to find immersion and bliss in Destiny 1 because there were lots of questions that were left unanswered. And so you go through the campaign and you, you learn through the grimoire cards, which you had to access outside of the game, um, which was part of people's frustration. But if you, go, if you go and read that stuff, you learn about the demi-planes. They're not called that, but they're effectively demi-planes where um, some of the hive gods live. But you don't learn about who the hive gods are and 
there's weapons that have descriptions about people who made them and you never learn who made them. And I really enjoyed playing in a world where I didn't know every single thing about it. And so you're talking about playing in a world with unknowns, and that might be another reason why I homebrew, because there are things that even I don't know yet, and canonically, in the actual canon of the world that I have written, I have pantheons. I've got 11 different realms, and there are three god, demigod, deific wardens of the realm for each of them, and... Underneath all of that, I've got, there's also this one guy who's the god of all of them, and that's me. So it's it's very meta, but even I don't know some things about the world, and so that, I think, contributes to playing in a world with unknowns. Hmm. And I, I like that a lot as well. Yeah, I mean, it's... For for me, I don't want to. I shouldn't say that I don't like canon, but I I don't like games where players are penalized if they don't know the canon. Mm-hmm. That bugs me a little bit, um, and that's definitely again. I, I know I don't mean to pick on Vampire the Masquerade, but no, that's all right. That's that's a game where you've really gotta you know. The, there's the canon and the splat books, and we talked about splat books in a previous show. Um, and you got to read four. it all, huh? Episode four, Episode, yeah, last show. Um, and so you know you've got to read it all. You've got to be so. And then there are times when I don't like how the canon uh, has unfolded, or it, it creates a it creates a space where the players can't play the game they want to play. Yes, I'm with right? you. I agree. So. So, Vampire the Masquerade, phenomenal game. I love playing it. Werewolf the Apocalypse, phenomenal game. I love playing it. Played lots of Werewolf online uh, back in the old uh, mush days um, when you had to play by typing instead of talking. But you can't, if you follow the cosmology, werewolves and vampires are mortal enemies and they never team up to do anything and yada, 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 yada. Yeah. Right? Well... That's not the case in other traditions, right? I mean, watch um, what was the anime that we used to love all the time? Vampire Hunter D. The vampire, the vampire has werewolves that work for him and do his bidding. Like that's kind of cool. Uh, monsters being monsters together, uh, and we wanted to play something like that, so we adjusted, we homebrewed, uh, and kind of adjusted and and played that game. So. That's I like to homebrew uh, to get out of those situations where the game's fluff has restricted certain behaviors, actions, that kind of stuff. I like to introduce that sense of the unknown because I'm not a published author. You can't just go grab all. <laughs> you, know, you know, if you're playing in Faerun or even in the Underdark, you just buy Ed Greenwood's books and Bob Salvatore's books, and boom, here's, you know, Chednazad is busted and destroyed, and this is broken here, and I don't want to play that. I want to play in a drow city no one's heard of where, you know. So, so this is this is what I am attempting to create in my realm, where prior to 
my friend James, the bard who plays Connie, um, joining the group, I knew that the city of Prosperous was a location, but I didn't know much about it outside of it's kind of a sketchy place, the king is hoarding tons of gold, slavery is like not outlawed but isn't very public, and that's about it. And James wants to, I ask James to join the group, he wants to play a bard, he wants his parents, he had his backstory before anything else, and he wanted his parents to be slavers, and was like, where where would I have grown up if this was the case, because I want to grow away from them, and find out that they were doing, like, his whole backstory. Um, and I was like, well, gee, it's not you know, these other couple of major capital cities that I have, it's got to be prosperous, but let me figure that out for you. And I wrote 16 pages over the course of two days that outlined what prosperous was and who Trade King Tawfiq is and his family, his rise to power the other six cities around the bay and who their leaders are and their rises to power. Um, I had two of them, uh, a couple, figured out from a previous campaign that I had written. Uh, and so I'm getting way ahead of myself talking about like how to go about homebrewing. Um, but I, I had had some of it already written, and I added to it and gave him these pages and he was like wow okay um you know i i know this guy and i worked for this company and my parents did this and they knew these people and and all of these connections from just writing a lot about somebody who asked a question about a world that i made up which is part of the awe of homebrew and part of the freedom from canon that you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, we could talk about uh, the Lord of the Rings, the One Ring, a little bit, where those books are written within a time frame, right? Is that... It's before the ring, right? So... It's actually I'll have to I I haven't read them in a while. Um, no, it's been like two years. It's, I but don't expect you to. If I if I remember correctly, and I could be wrong, um, you as the lore master set the time. Okay, terrific. So so you could um, have an adventure in parallel with Bilbo Baggins and the discovery of the ring. Yeah. Um, a really popular time is the 30 some odd years between Bilbo coming home with the ring and uh, his birthday. Yeah. So Bilbo's in the Shire with the, with the ring of power and the enemy is growing in strength, but doesn't know where the ring is. Sure. Um, there's, Oh no, it's 33 years. I forget how long, but there's a period of time when Bilbo goes to Rivendell and gives the ring to Frodo and Gandalf comes back, right? In the right. If, you, if you just watch the movie, that looks like, 
oh, Gandalf goes and he reads a bunch of books and then he rides the horse back. Eh, he's gone for a month or so. That was actually a period of years um, that Gandalf was researching the one, the power of the ring. Right. And of course, if my friend Matt was years. here, huh? 17 years. 17 I just looked years? it up. Yep. Gandalf just, is yeah. gone for 17 years before he returns to the Shire with news of the ring. Right. And I was going to say, if my Matt, my friend Matt was here, he'd know right off the top of the head. Of his head. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. That happens here. That happens there. He's got like the whole story memorized using uh, the uh, Gondorian calendar and the Shire calendar, right? That, that, that whole yes. world. <laughs> Right has a whole huge canon. Many many people know it and love it, um, and that's again. I I if I play in that space as a G, as a DM, I'm usually kind of a jerk about knowing other things. So right? we played we played Alien recently. Yes, um, we did. I think we talked about that episodes two and three and I being the player that I am went and looked up the planet. Uh, what was it? LV four, two, six, LV four, two, six. And was like, Oh, their day night cycle is only two hours. It's dark outside, but can we wait for daytime? Like it's only going to be two hours max. Um, and that was, there is a degree of, um, like belongingness and proficiency that players mm -hmm. can feel by having some knowledge about the world. Yes. So yeah. like if you were playing the one ring, it like every player at the table is bound to know something about the world, but you can homebrew parts of it such that you're in a time period, you know, 200 years after the ring. So while everybody knows canon, what happens in the books and the movies, you don't necessarily know exactly what's happening at that time. You just know that, like, a warg is different from a wolf and that goblins are different from orcs. And, like, it, it's a different understanding. Right. Um... And I, I think that that is, I think it's good one. for players to have some background, which is where I struggle with my world. Um, but like, if you're homebrewing entirely from scratch, that's an issue you're going to run into. Well, you, it, you, so there's ways that you can do that homebrew that can help facilitate a way or help vector away from that. I don't know, you know, this is all coming out of your head. I don't know anything about about this. Right. right. You could you could as part of your session zero say, okay, I've homebrewed this. This is a high fantasy game. Um there's there's magic, there's elves, uh dwarves are extinct, and and it's kind of like Lord of the Rings meets you can kind of set expectations um the other thing that you can do with a homebrew setting just like you were talking about um how do i say this gently i won't say it no gently. just just say it 
Um, Just say so it. you as a DM have to be open to modify that world. Or oh, to, yeah, yeah, totally. So, so like you were talking about James coming in and saying, hey, I want to be this, and that triggered a whole creative outpouring for this city. Uh, if, if a player asks a question, you have to kind of be open to, it's like, well, you know, there's oceans. Are there pirates? And, you know, it'd be really cool if there were pirates. It's like, oh, okay, well, I really wasn't, like, I'm, I'm trying to do high fantasy on the land. I really don't want to do sea adventures, but yeah, this, this town on the map is near a big lake. I guess we'll have, you know, there might be pirates on the lake. There might not be, but you as the DM kind of have to be uh, flexible. That's, that's the right word there. Flexible uh, about changing or adding to, to your world. Right. Yes, totally. Um, and that's so, so like slavery was not something that I had, had thought about because it wasn't, I wasn't going to just be like, yeah, there's totally slavery. In right, world. Don't. That's a, right. Like I'm not, I'm not that person in real life, and I don't think of that as being... It doesn't distinctly add anything to the world. However, comma, it makes sense given where where the region is and what work is done there and how the people in that region feel about other people and other races. Yeah. Um, there is a town around the Nebrith Bay that will jail elves on site like if you are an elf and you go to that town the guards will beat the ever-living shit out of you until you're begging to be a slave just so that maybe maybe somebody gives you food like it is it it's the most racist awful place in my world and i didn't have fun i did i did i had fun writing about it okay but only because I knew that that degree of conflict would create passion within my players and that somebody would have based their entire backstory around, hey, I'm friends with this elf lady who is a secret agent in this town and she works with this family to help get slaves out of the whole region and uh, like it, it created this entire backstory that was possible for this character, and and this player wanted that experience and and got it. And so I totally agree that you have to be open to change and additions and subtractions. And I I wanted to, and I still do. There's a um. Oh man, uh, there's a. what's the word for it concept for like stories without a conflict um let me see if i can there's a jap it's a japanese word for it um so while you're looking that up let me let me piggyback on this this town you've built yeah yeah it's very it's It's, very wise it's a city called prosperous that was loosely based off of my understanding of water deep okay um there's a counselor ruling in the cities around, but Prosperous is ruled by a singular king who so, is so not what, a part of the council. 
what the you've whole done city is is slavery kind of um there it I, I don't know it's got a deep history i'll talk about it more but i'm sorry go ahead so what you've done by creating a city of basically a sodom or a gomorrah um You've given your characters at their highest levels. So when those characters hit yes. high, high level, like like we're 13 talking plus, tw- uh, I was thinking 20. Oh, um, all right. But I'm so going to say 15, 20. Yeah. So when, when you get to that, those high, extremely high levels and right I, one of my favorite character classes is a cavalier and a level, even at level 15, he's got a retinue and a small army that follows him around. Yeah. And, and you have set, you have basically created an end game villain in this, the city itself is the end game villain, uh, which can generate a lot of, like well, the king or the king is the end game villain, and the city is it's, the end game zone. But you've yeah. given your player something like, you, you know, we can play this game, and yeah, we get to level seven, and we have these cool powers. Oh, we're level twelve, and we can do this amazing stuff. You get to level twenty, and you're like, okay, here comes a here comes six dragons. I wish. Well, okay, they're gone. Well, what do we, you know? What's our challenge? Where do we go next? Right. You know, now that we've conquered, um. Now that we've conquered all the lands, we're going to weep because there's nothing left to conquer. It's like, well, wait a minute. Prosperous is over there, and they're still jerkwads. Let's take the city. Yeah. Like, but, you, you know, and, and, I, and it's, um, I've had players uh, who have kind of always wanted to operate outside of that. Like, okay, hey, man, you're a level three vampire. Like, this is the thing that you can do. Ah. I'm sick of getting bossed around by that guy in New York City. I'm going to go carpet bomb New York City. And it's like, uh, as a level three vampire, you're not even going to get close to the guy that you want to get rid of. And, you know, carpet bombing a major metropolitan area. How the hell are you going to do that? Like, let's let's focus and play within your boundaries and have a good time. Right. Yeah. and then if you want to do these super amazing superhero things, right? The game is structured on a reward for play yeah, mechanism. Yeah. Like you have to progress through certain things before you have these amazing, phenomenal, fantastic powers. And I, I think that's one thing that <coughs> some games are bad at is oh, that totally. they – they pre- and and there are some modules that are bad at this too. They present this, you know, hey, it's the bad guy. It's Strahd. I won't pick on Curse of Strahd because Curse of Strahd is fun. But you run into Strahd in the first like ten minutes of the session, and he blah 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 role playing crap. And then you have to like try and beat him up. Go, I'll let you go because you you're no chomping. no no right right right. It's it's the same. It, it totally is that where you meet Strahd early on. But it, Barovia is one of the locations, and I, I do this with my world, that is a living world. So you've got campaign designs that occur, and most modules are typically designed like a campaign. But if right. you design that homebrew, you've got, you know, it's sort of a normal progression where a living world is 
more like an MMO where different zones have different levels of enemies and there are different quests that you can't complete or even learn about until you finish other quests. So like my group was level 4 and they were killing time waiting for a scholar to translate some books and they decide to go to a place called the Isle of Terrible Lizards. Now they leave from one of the cities around the Nebrith Bay where Prosperous is. There's tons of people there's tons of information for sale. Nobody asks anything about the island, and they all go to the Island of Terrible Lizards because the bard has a connection with one of the dwarven shipping and trading companies. So he gets them passage, but that's all they know about it. So they hey, let's go, go to Fresno. What's in Fresno? I don't know, but let's go to Fresno, California. It sounds fun. Right? So right? they go... And they spend two days walking around in the jungle, and they're like, oh, this is whatever. This is what terrible lizards are here. This doesn't make sense. The next day, one of them catches the smallest glimpse of what she believes to be a green dragon of undiscernible age. And the party's like, well, we could fight it if it's really little, but if it's not, then we're totally boned. And then find themselves in a fight with a rock, which is a CR 11 creature at level 4, with 4 level 4 characters, or uh, 5. It was 5 level 4 characters at the time. And they, one of them almost dies, and they're complaining about the rock, and it's like, you went there, it's a living world. I explained that from the very, very, very beginning, a year and a half ago, like... There is more stuff going on than you could possibly deal with or understand at any one given time. And that, first of all, that depth is really hard to achieve unless you spend a lot of time writing and world building. And, and two, can either have a lot of meaning for players or can be really frustrating for players. Yeah. But something like Prosperous, where, like you said, you know, maybe the city is the villain, that's written, and I'm glad that you thought that, because it's hard to tell if the king is the villain or not, or if he's just a victim of circumstance. But the city right. is certainly not in a good place, so something has to be done eventually, if you live that long. Thank you. Like, right. And and the, and I want to circle back about to your MMO um, and zones oh, inside yeah. of an MMO. Yeah. One of the nice things about homebrew, as opposed to modules, is that the zone can actually level. Yeah, yeah, so, you can scale whatever. You, so, you, you know, yeah, we're level one, and we're bumbling around, and, and I'm, I'm going to... There's a, there's a really good book. Um, it's actually a series of three books by Mercedes Lackey, uh, who's a fantasy romance novelist. Um, and it's, uh, the main character shows up at this city and she, she only has access to one area of the city cause she's an immigrant, right? And so she, she frequents, uh, a bar. She's a, she's a musician. It's a, it's a, and she plays a fiddle. Um, so she's a busker. She plays the fiddle with her hat out and people toss her coins, um, and then 
as she develops as a character, we learn more about the neighborhood and the neighborhood kind of can starts to change because she becomes more famous. She forms relationships with the people in this particular tavern. And so she doesn't, it's like, oh, hey, you can come out of the immigrant section now. Now you can go to the middle class area. And she's like, I'm good. Like I have my friends and I've mm. formed these relationships and I'm going to stay here. And it kind of changes the nature of the neighborhood she's operating in. Totally. Um, which that's... is another thing you can do for a homebrew. Like uh, the party shows up and they burn down the inn. It's like, okay. Maybe they burned down the inn by accident. You know, oh, I dropped a candle or, <laughs> right. you know, we were trying to stop the bar fight that started the, the fire. But that inn's gone. Yeah. And what do we do? Well, you know, the livery stable next to the inn is still there. Um, there's a nicer house over there. And the widow says she'll sell us that house for the new inn. And you, you can kind of grow and adjust your zones your spaces your areas and not uh, even you can but you have to like um yeah my my party was in a town that was sort of under rule of three different gangs with very different motivations and incentives and they ended up uh busting into a meeting that the mayor was having with a member, the leader, leader slash representative of each of the gangs. So there's the mayor and and three other folks in this meeting. They bust in and the mayor gets murdered and, and all sorts of, of shit hits the fan. But that town is irreparably changed. And right. so the the party leaves that town shortly afterwards and doesn't go back for a long time until one of my players characters are introduced to the group as a result of those actions so that what they did there was part of a new character's backstory which is very very cool and uh, as my party will find out in our session our next session um that there is some aftermath from the results of of what has since happened there mm -hmm. being that they didn't have a mayor and that this other character passed through and um that they don't know about yet but that will provide them uh it'll it'll basically be a a whole new quest line um as a and, result of that and that's not something you see in modules right Right. So so to we talked a little bit about homebrew in contrasting with modules last episode, the modules episode. Yeah. So to kind of do that here um, in a module, you pretty much have location. Action, move to a new location, have a new action, move to a new location, have a new action. If you yeah. circle back around, it's very to streamlined. One of the other location to the location you've already visited the module will have, okay, this is all kind of unfolded. Um, but in that sense, again, we go back to why one of the reasons I like to homebrew is the, 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 if I'm DMing a module and you're on this ship and you need the ship for the next four pieces of this adventure, 
And the party says, you know what? This is a sucky ship. And once we land on that island, we're going to burn the ship. Hmm. You kind of have to, as a GM, go, okay, if you burn the ship, we're going to, we're like, here are the rails. <laughs> right. Here's the, here's, here are the rails, and here's where you're going. Um, so, so in a homebrew campaign, it's like, yeah, okay, we went to this island, we burned the ship, and now the game changes from a piracy mutiny developing, you know, developing relationships with pirates or pirate hunters to how do we survive on this island because we're, we're out of the shipping lanes and we've really made a mistake. Right. Right, so, uh, so at, at this point, um, I'm going to take a, a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk about um, more homebrewing. Yeah, we're back. Uh, talking more about homebrew. We're back. We're back. We're back. Hooray, we're back. We're back. All right. Can we say it again? It's so much fun to say we're back. <laughs> we're back. No. All right, we're done. Um, so <clears throat> one of the things I'm looking through the show notes, right? Sure. And uh, I, again, I'm not trying to be that guy. No, do uh, it. Somebody's got to be. But I, when I'm homebrewing, I don't put in a lot of inside jokes. Oh, okay. So, okay. so the, the the way that this has started was that uh, in in our notes, like you were talking about, um, I, I said that it's you know it's really really about being creative, and that you might have inside jokes with your group of friends, and uh, your story is going to reference those jokes, um, or you might run an adventure that the players slowly find out is playing through the plot of Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and they figure it out after the fact um or you might just be so creative that you feel like homebrewing all of it so inside jokes you don't you don't do I, any of that i i have in the past they always fall flat they always they, they huh. never either i'm not either it could be me i have lousy creative timing or yeah, maybe. comedic timing um or I pick really weird things that nobody think is thinks are funny, um, but I tend um, not to do the inside joke in my homebrew. Okay, I, so I the, might do a call out like to pop culture reference, or I might oh, put sure. things in there that I know the group like. Oh, the group, you know, they're huge punk rock fans, so. You know, yeah, you guys show up to the nightclub and the Dead Kennedys, you know, a Dead Kennedys cover band is playing, yeah. blah, blah, blah. That Nazi kind of stuff. punks fuck off. There you go. <laughs> uh, chemical Warfare. But I just, I would, I don't know if I would base a whole, well, no, that's not true because I did. I based a whole uh, classic Traveler game on the premise behind Battlestar Galactica. Right. So, but that was, I... that really wasn't an inside joke. That was kind of the pl a plot that people knew back Could in the follow. 1980s right so i did a um a one shot so james my friend who is playing connie the bard in my current game um shipped out to basic training uh like two years ago now uh and 
before he left, he was up in Vermont and wanted to hang out, and so I offered to run a one-shot, and my one-shot campaign was called the Crest Hill Festival, and it was basically the party doing a series of, like, riddle-based tasks that was effectively the Westfall Stew Quest from WoW, where they had to go around and get flour from the mill that one of my characters, right? And I I threw in references to the game, which is an intellectual property that the four of us started writing content for in fourth grade when we thought we were all going to become game developers. Uh, And so we each made a character way back then. And so James's character was this werewolf paladin who now runs this mill in my new world. And so they had to go and get a sack of flour from him. And my friend Doug was uh, an elven ranger. And they had to go and get permission from him to take a boar from the elven woodlands because they needed boar meat for the stew for the festival. And it was like the whole thing was this big Westfall stew meme. And it worked out amazingly well. They had a blast, and it was a ton of fun. So, how, if someone wanted to build their own world, I am left-handed, I'm very visual, I start with a map. Yep, I agree. I I start drawing either a coastline or a road structure. Uh, I might draw a castle or a cave. Nope. I disagree with you there. Oh yeah. I start, I start way smaller. Um, and I, I just listened to the critical role episode where Matt Mercer talks about this. So this is probably going to sound familiar if you've listened to that. Um, but I did this. So for the longest time, I didn't listen to critical role because I was, envious of the success that they had and that i wanted my life and my career to revolve around my tabletop gaming and so for a long time i resisted that because i was foolish and envious about it and i shouldn't have been because there are lots of similarities between mr mercer and myself um in that uh, we w- would both recommend starting with a town. Start with a small town somewhere. Uh-huh. Not uh, um, not not necessarily a map, although probably a map. Um, but start with a town, right? And so, like when I started developing my world, I had Piedmont, this little town that I had a story for that was between a pass that had forests, mountains, and lakes to the north and south. And I knew that the western and eastern kingdoms had some bloody civil war that Piedmont was kind of in the middle of. So if you controlled Piedmont, you controlled the the route between the mountains that you could supply troops for the war for. Um, and so after the war, Piedmont had been you know destroyed and rebuilt so many times it was it was already very small and uh the the king of the winning human kingdom 
decided that Piedmont was to be a a graveyard. And so you played through the you were uh Von Krumpus, the first playthrough of the Mystery at Piedmont adventure. Yes. And and that that's all I had when I started the world. It was this one town that had eight to twelve structures and a population of like fifty and this vast history to it. Um and so you uh, in in beginning to homebrew, you have to start somewhere, and and I would recommend starting with a town, not a coastline or even road structures. Pick a small single location that your players will start in, and then slowly build out from there. So, I, I mean, I'll I'll keep going for a little bit here, um, unless you have something that you want to chime no. in with. So I I I guess I mean I. I'll usually sit down, like I said, with a piece of hex paper and kind of look hex, at a larger really. swath of geography or okay. a larger expanse of star systems. Mm -hmm. um, and then just kind of... So, so yeah, I, I totally get start small and move out. Um, I kind of approach it more like what's around me and then I move in. So I... Okay. That's kind of, that's where I, Inter you know. It's so interesting that, because I, I think we're both extremely competent people when it comes to this. Like, I've been playing my game for over a year and a half, and you have run several games. for you, yeah. Yeah, um, over your last 40 years. So it's interesting and hopeful, <laughs> I think, for any new DM who is out there like, oh, I want to try to run this but I don't even know where to start. Like you can start literally wherever and you'll be fine is what right. we're saying. Um, I started, so in, in continuing to talk about sort of the inside out model, I started with Piedmont, the small town. I had the two lakes. I had some forests and some mountains. So I built it out from there. I, I started with the, the forest next and I knew I wanted something original about my world because i didn't just want it to be a, a lord of the rings copy or a warcraft copy um so i i gave my elves seasonal flavoring where there are four major elven kingdoms they are all based around a season of the year and depending on your birthplace and your parentage you have tendencies and physical traits that are are unique to my world um and and so there were definitely parallels uh the spring elves for example are like the very old traditional what you might imagine high elves as in something like skyrim or another high fantasy mythos and uh the the wood elves are my autumn elves and the sea elves are my summer elves. They live near the water, and it's hot and humid, and they're good swimmers. Um, Do the winter elves make toys? No. Well, yes and no, right? Okay. So my, my winter—I don't have an Underdark equivalent yet. No, no, I, I mean, like, winter— No, no, I know. I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, and, and I've been waiting— to do my sort of dark elf equivalent, because that's the last big elf subtype. 
but I knew I didn't want winter elves to necessarily be dark elves. So my winter elves are very unique in that they are the elves least likely to follow traditional elvish traditions and habits. They're not all wizards, and lots of high elves tend to be pretty wizardly and, and wise, sage-old people. Um, my winter elves are the most anomalous people in the world, where some of them are your typical elf mage, and some of them are elf druids that have spent lots of time researching the natural world and doing something kind of, not entirely different from elf kind, but kind of different. And then you've got the, like, fighter, tinkerer, tavern brawler winter elves who somehow find themselves drinking gallons of, of hollyberry wine and getting in bar fights, which is very not typical of elves. So, right. so something a, a very original like that that draws parallels, but um, that is flavored in its own way. Right. I have dwarves in my world, and dwarves in my world were created by the lowest deity from the most chaotic evil realm. It's called Nefaria. And the deity of Nefaria, the main god, is called Dekarathoriax. And the demigod of that realm is called Markaneer. And the, the warden of that realm is the next step down. And so Markaneer was the first to arrive within Nefaria and thought that if he could create an engine of destruction, he could conquer all of the realms. And so he recruited the warden who built the dwarves, who like flesh magic shaped the dwarves so that they could build the god Dekarathoriax, who is part dragon, part engine and serves a very mechanical purpose of destruction and obliteration. Um, and so after Dekarathoriax was constructed, Markaneer and the Warden banished the dwarves from Nefaria. And so the way that my multiverse is set up, Nefaria is located in like the center of the earth, as it were. And so for hundreds of miles between Nefaria and the Shade, which is the next realm, there is the Lightless Hollow, which is like a very Greek labyrinth-style um, caves and endless darkness where creatures sort of live and thrive. It's sort of an underdark. Um, yeah. And above, above the Lightless Hollow, there's the Shade, which is sort of a replica copy of the material realm, um, sort of like the ethereal realm, but it's very uh, grayscale and oriented towards stealth and deception. Um, the general alignment of the realm is lawful evil. And then that being mirrored to Tomarev, the, the mortal material continent, 
there's the Isle of Mana and the Tempest Sea, which is where all the magic comes from and is basically an upside-down version of the ocean on Tomarev. And then you've got the ocean and Tomarev and so on and so forth. Um, but, but like, dwarves don't... Modern dwarves on Tomarev don't know their history. Like, they don't know where they've come from because after the gods of hell sent them up through hell to Earth they sort of lost all of that and you know they still reside under the ground because that's where they're comfortable with and the sun sort of bothers them very very similar to dwarves that you know but with a very incredibly uniquely my own history yeah um and so like i've got you know over 200 named locations and ideas and names of other things waiting to be developed i've got a couple battle maps of my locations for ones that you know have really merited that and and several pages worth of lore like i i wrote 18 pages for piedmont uh nope for prosperous when james wanted to join the group where every now and again when a player wants more information i i get a creative splurge to build more about that um and you sorry you were t i've been talking for a while uh you were talking about um traveler quite a bit have you yeah. played no man's sky yet uh, i haven't played the new no man's sky i played the one where you where i flew around a long time landed on a planet froze to death and flew around a long time hold on your uh, robot -y. So we we were going to talk about world building a little bit um and we started to Yeah, so you you had asked me about my traveler world building. I had asked you about No Man's Sky actually. You did and I said that I I tried it when it first came out and you know I flew around a lot and I was on a planet by myself and I froze to death uh picking uh weeds. No, it's so a, it's definitely worth playing again. Okay. Um, the 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 it it is one of the better open world sci-fi games that exist at the moment. Okay. But as we're talking about sci-fi games, you were talking about uh, Traveler. Right. So, and when I when I was home, so my homebrew experience uh, was basically. Let me get back to the show notes. Sorry. No, it's all right. Uh, You're all set. Don't worry about it. All discombobulated. Um, so basically, I laid out a star map. Um, for those of you that don't play Traveler, the um, it's it's a fabulous game. It's wildly fantastic. It's amazing. Uh, you should totally check it out. Uh, but it has a very uh, rigid kind of historical. There's an emperor. Um, there's there's a government. There's a whole nobility. Um, your social status is actually one of your traits on uh -huh. your character sheet. Uh, and it's and very, I, I thought that very was cool. Warhammer 40k. Uh, I, I thought that was you know you could be a duke or a, or a knight. I thought that was kind of cool. But I was I wanted more. I wanted more freedom. Like I I didn't I didn't like this idea of a galactic. It sounds crazy, but I didn't like the idea of a galactic empire. Yeah. Um, 
and and I especially in a world where um, in Traveler there's no communication that is faster than light. Spaceships can move faster than light, but there's no sub Ethernet sub Ether band or hyperspace radio. Um, sure. So it's kind of an it's got an age of sail feel like. If something happens on oh man, that's, if something, that's a throwback. Yeah, but if something happens on Earth, it's gonna take however long it takes a spaceship to fly to Cygnus before this the people of the Cygnus system learned about what happened on Earth, right? Right. Uh, right. So I I got out my hex paper. And I started plotting planets where they should roughly be, um, you know, and I wasn't super, I was a little nerdy, but I didn't get super astrophysics nerdy about where this should be and how sure. close. So, so I kind of had a rough two-dimensional sketch of a swath of stars. And Which then, is all you need. Then I started each plan, each system. It's like, okay. Um, and I did a little bit of R&D, RNG, right? I did some random dice rolling yeah. to see, you know, what was this kind of system? What was that kind of system? Um, but then as I started to craft the planet, I started to think about, okay, well, here's Cygnus 3. It's a, it's in the Goldilocks zone. It's <laughs> habitable. It's seven, it's, it's 90% water, Okay. right? So... Uh, the land masses are all basically tropical islands. It's a it's a planet of Hawaii or the Caribbean kind of thing. <laughs> nice. Uh, and then, and then I said, so that's not going to be a human planet. What kind of animals would evolved on on this kind of planet? And so I started kind of playing through that whole um, evolutionary uh, and uh, and kind of Dar was my own Darwin, if you will. And yeah. and you know this this planet is settled by uh, intelligent um, life amphibians, right? Frogs. It was basically the planet of frogs. <laughs> um, so they were planet roughly, of the apes, but with frogs. But was, so it was the planet of the frogs, and <laughs> and, that and they were awesome. They were they were sentient. They were sapient. They were they had um, they had space travel. But they didn't really like it because it's really cold in space, and they live in a sure. tropical climate. So getting up into space and being cold was not their deal. Um, but each each world kind of unfolded um, like that, and then I started putting spaceports and and places for characters to go and visit and right. And that you, was you start the, fleshing out the world. So right. So like homebrew, so so we've been talking about homebrew uh, quite a bit, um, and we haven't talked about, well, homebrew and world building are very similar. But like I said at the very beginning, world building is something we could talk about for episodes at a time. So so you're not even talking about world building necessarily. You're talking about universe building, and yes, yeah. And homebrew is easy enough, right? Like, if you're playing D&D 5e and you're a level one group, all you really need at the bare minimum is a village next, a small village, population of 500, maybe even 
a hundred next to a forest with a goblin village population of 20 through the forest and that's that's all you need for the first like three months of gameplay if you can add enough depth to that but are you i mean you, you could right um if if we switch genres i know how much you love doing no, that sure, sure um but if we shift gears to 1920s call of cthulhu i've got the dormitory the college library and one of the science buildings right and, I, and, I could, and the walk on campus between those. Right. So I, I have and my that's it. Yeah. my green space between these three buildings, and that's it. You could the, you could homebrew something very, very easily with three buildings. Um, you if you want to go sci-fi, you could homebrew something in a spaceship with a single deck. In that same vein, you could take it from your own school. So like I could, if I was running a, a Call of Cthulhu group, I would do it on the Castleton campus, which I know right. like the back of my own hand fairly well. But if new stuff pops up, I you know it's gonna take me a minute. Um, nobody cares because nobody knows. Right. Well, Kelly right. would know. Well, <laughs> but I mean, but if, if I'm playing... like, oh, you're gonna walk from the library to the old chapel, you know, that's a thousand feet. It's going to take you five minutes, and along the way, a portal's going to rip open, and a hound of Tindalos is going to come out. Like That's going to be a short game. Yeah. <laughs> You're dead. Well, <laughs> yeah. Character. Well, yeah, but, but everyone would know sort of where that's at. Right. So, like, you can easily homebrew the, the village goblin town forest. It could be a... And going all the way back to when we were talking about uh, sort of modifying existing content, it could be it could easily just be a dead forest if you wanted like a swamp and dragons and undead. It could be a fungal forest if you wanted more fungal creatures and aberrations. It could be a forest of ice cream cones with ice elementals for for all anybody cares. Um, you're just trying to create a world that is compelling to your players, uh, and to to sort of go from there. Unless, do you, sorry, do you have anything else to to add at this juncture? I I guess the the one I'll, I'll be the voice the 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 negative Nancy here. Um, as far as like you, right? unicorns and ice cream sprinkled forests and stuff. Um, the, the, I don't know, yeah, it's a risk. The risk with homebrew is that you go too silly, right? Or you, yep. or you True. go someplace, you're really excited about Bronze Age, ancient Greece, and you've got this island and it's wonderful and your players want to be pirates with gunpowder, or wizards, right. or wizards, and, and, and it breaks and, your and in your world. You don't have a lot of magic, and you don't want to play a big magical game. So, uh, I think that's the as you're homebrewing. There's the, and and this might veer us off or vector us off into world building, right? Mm -hmm. As you're homebrewing your adventure, you really still have to consider your players. Totally. Oh, always. Right? And and that's actually one of the reasons why. 
I like world building is because I don't give a crap what the player. I like this is Cygnus three with the Toad people, and if if the players that I'm the people I'm playing with like they don't like Toads, right? Or you know here's here's another planet where the dominant species are spiders. Your young your sister hates spiders. She wouldn't want to play in a game where the whole planet is full of spiders. Sure. Um, Right. She's getting creeped out when I'm playing Neverwinter and I'm down in the drow <laughs> areas because it's all spidery stuff. Um, but when you're ho- when you're world building, that's kind of a whole different category. And then the one the other thing I was going to throw out and we may have to save this for a different episode, longer explanation in a different episode sure. is if you're struggling. Right. If you're like, well, I'm trying to world build or I'm trying to homebrew and I'm just not. I don't I'm I don't know if this is good. I don't know what's going on. Two things. Um go to your friendly local game store and pull a module off the shelf and just flip through it. Right? Oh if, sure. If yeah. you're really struggling totally. with like how you know, how do I structure this? How do I do it? Um that's like all modules are homebrews. That got published, right? Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. So if you're if you're like oh, I'm really I'm really struggling I really don't know what to do, buy a module, buy one, right? Or or just go into your store and look at it. At or least. look at one, right? Look at one. Um. So I have three things. All right. We'll go ahead and go ahead and cover them because we're getting to the end. Goodman Games has a book that's how to write adventure modules that don't suck, which is a number of essays. You know, Christmas was like two months ago, and I didn't get that. You so... didn't get that? Oh, that's too bad. I kickstarted it. It's really good. Oh, huh. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Put that on my future list. I was going to say, that wasn't on your letter to Santa Claus. Um, <laughs> but that's another... And and again, it's that's actually relatively inexpensive, um, but that has essays and and basically it's a, it's a series of essays from game module publishers. So people who have published many 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 modules, they talk about uh, pacing, they talk about adventure design, they talk about puzzle design. Uh, again, if you're looking, if you're struggling with how do i do this right that's a good book to look at and i again i'll don't don't worry about right worry about fun right point yep. number one worry about fun don't worry about right Absolutely. point number two fine you there are lots of resources to help you write a module goodman games has that really good book um and then examples we talked about examples for modules um and then when we get to world building, I'll throw the 14-pound guide to Glorantha when we get to world building. Because that's probably going to be a whole other episode. Yeah, yeah it is. Because we, we, I don't know, we, we, I think we've had some pretty good discussion, um, but we, we didn't end up actually really getting into world building. Um, the one thing that I would like to say before we, we come to a close here is that when you are starting to homebrew, um, 
my recommendation is to start with a, a single town, a small town, and to start with a couple of NPCs. And, and like I said, I started listening to Critical Role, so I listened to Matt Mercer talk about it, and I feel like he identifies um, how to do NPCs really, really well, just from a very, very basic standpoint. And without a lot of time left, um, I think that that's probably a good standpoint to end on. So Mr. Mercer says that you need a name, a race, a class. So your your character's name might be Edo Stonecrest. He's a dwarf barbarian, or used to be a barbarian. Now he, Edo Stonecrest runs the guard for a dwarven mining settlement. And you want what they want in the world. So Edo Stonecrest might want order and civility and for his job to get done. And what they fear would be being fired or being excluded from dwarven culture. So you have a name, a race, a class, or a, a role, what that character wants and what that character fears, and you've got the basis of a non-player character, an NPC. So every innkeeper that you meet, every quest giver, every cook and chef and guard and magician that you want your characters to maybe be able to meet you get these things done and you have the the bare minimum basis for what you need to homebrew you start with a small town you've got an inn in that town give me an inn name the name of an inn the name of an inn yep um, you're on the spot the one-footed goose Alright, you've got the one-footed goose, and it's run by an elvish woman. Give me an elvish woman's name. Ugh, Go. Yeah. I know, I know. That's uh, it's a Thanks challenge a lot. for you. Um, elvish ab- female. Go. An elvish female? Uh, Go. It's got to be some... Uh, let's see. Uh, Silver Lay... Yeah, that's it. She's got one name like yeah, here. Silverly. Silverlay. Silverlay. All right, so we've got Silverlay, who runs the, what was the tavern name? The One-Footed Goose. The One-Footed Goose. All right. So you've got Silverlay, who runs the One-Footed Goose. She's a barkeeper. That's her class slash role. What does Silverlay want? Silverlay wants to retire in peace. All right, so she wants she she wants lots of money. She wants to retire. What is she afraid of? She's afraid of getting sick. All right, so you've got Silverlay, the elvish barkeeper, who wants to retire early and is deathly afraid of getting sick. So as your players meet her, she's frantically wiping the edge of one of her tankards before she pours a drink for somebody and your players might notice that every time she goes to pour a drink she spends extra time than an average innkeeper cleaning off the edge of the drink 
the edge of the cup, and you notice that she doesn't drink from any of her standard cups. She's got this special glass that she keeps in the back that she drinks out of. Um, and if your party were to meet her, they would know that she wants to, to continue to make money and to, to get out of being an innkeeper. And depending on their roles, which we didn't talk about at all, but could be an entire episode. Um, depending on their roles, they might learn that, you know, she she does seem to be very preoccupied with cleaning the cups, uh, and perhaps she has some sort of germophobia, and and that would continue to develop from there. So so that's just one very very quick uh, NPC there at the end. We talked a lot about homebrew so that, and. So so I'll, a little I'll bit throw, about world building. So it, some games have decks of NPCs. And I'm thinking 7th C has a brilliant uh, add-on oh. that you can buy. Yep. Um, that is a, you just shuffle them up and you flip the card. I don't have them here. Um, you shuffle them up and flip it over and it's like, oh, cool. That's a, a, a Vidachi Assassin. Sure. Right, who has these stats? It's got all the stats and stuff, and then there's a little blurb about their motivations and stuff. So, yeah. um, there are player aids that will help you with stuff like that. Totally, and and we should talk more about uh, like well, you said player aids, but I think that's like a DM aid. Um, yeah, that's a game aid. A game aid, yeah. Yeah, and and obviously we're gonna talk more about that in the future. Uh, unfortunately, that is about our time for the evening. Um, I know we, we talked a lot about homebrew and our personal experiences and not a whole lot about world building, but don't fear. There will be another episode in the future, um, world building part two, where we'll talk about, you know, sort of what you need to do and how you can do to build calendars and pantheons and holidays and politics and political boundaries geographical boundaries weather, weather. um like there's just like homebrewing is a very very creatively taxing thing to do and if you want to homebrew an entire universe you're, you're gonna need a few episodes for us to talk about how you go about doing that. Um, I hope that this episode has been enough for you to learn sort of how to homebrew. You can change what you need to as you need to. Just let your players know and make sure everybody is having fun. Um, otherwise, do you have any final thoughts on homebrewing? I, I do not. All right. Uh, well, then that's going to do it. We're going to talk a whole lot more in the future about homebrew and world building. But for now, uh, that has been Set the Table, Episode 5. Thank you so much for listening. If you can, please comment or rate the show, depending on how you're watching it and how you're uh, evaluating it. If you want to ask a question that we answer live on the show, please uh, do so through Twitter either at jamsco to 5 or at Red Hoodie Games. Both accounts will lend you to uh, questions for the show. Uh, if you'd like bi-weekly content opposite Set the Table, uh, every 
week we do set the table and on the other weeks I put a post up on redhoodiegames5.wordpress.com uh, and that could be anything from a character concept to an encounter table to adventure hooks to anything that you might be able to use in your own home games so if you are hankering for some RPG content between set the table episodes head on over to redhoodiegames5.wordpress.com uh, otherwise if you would like to support the show in any way shape or form the absolute best way to do that is from patreon.com slash skoda that's s-k-o-d-a where you'll find all of my information about uh, skoda creative enterprises including this show uh, other shows and other creative content and any support that you give is very, very well welcomed and thanked for. Um, this has been Set the Table Episode 5, talking about world brew and homebrew, world building and homebrew. Um, and we will see you in two weeks' time. Thanks a whole bunch. Bye.